welcome you today to the continuation of our Losing My Religion series on this cold, rainy day. And I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to thank all the guys in our parking lot team that have stood outside all day long in the cold rain, welcoming people to South Bay, being the first face that you would see when you walked on campus. And that is a great place to serve at South Bay if you don't have a team that you are currently on. We're so glad you're here. To start us off today, I want to just ask you a question. Has there ever been an area of your life that you wanted to change, that you wanted to be different, but it seemed like no matter how hard you try, you just could not change? Or maybe you changed for a period of time, but then you find yourself back doing the exact same thing that you said that you would not do. Maybe it was to try to quit smoking or to stop drinking or stop using some drug, and you stopped for a period of time, but then when the circumstances were right, you were back in the same struggle. I know for guys a lot of times it's an issue with pornography, that they're, they're trying to get off of this addiction to pornography, and they'll stop for six to eight weeks and then they're doing it again. The image comes up on the computer and they click it again. Or, or maybe it's an emotion that you have, anger, frustration, selfishness. I, I experience this with my kids. I lose my temper. I get frustrated and angry. And I'm like, I'm not going to do it again. I am not going to get angry with my kids again. And then bedtime comes and I do the exact same thing that I said that I was not going to do. Depression, anxiety, all of these things that we want to overcome, but then we find ourselves back doing the exact same things that we did not want to do. Anybody, raise your hand honestly. Okay, this is the most honest service that we've had all day today. I think we're in good shape. And it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because we want to be different. We see that person that we could be, that husband, that wife, that friend, that son, that daughter, that parent. We see the person that we could be, but somehow our effort to change does not sustain itself. It does not stick. That's why today's message is so important, because if we continue to try to change the wrong way, apart from the way that God designed life to work, then we're going to be deflated, we're going to be discouraged, and we're not going to experience the kind of change that God wants us to experience. Now, here's the reality. We've been looking at religion, talking about the fact that religion is and was a problem. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, religion was the thing that was standing between people and God. They were trying to get to God, but their religious efforts were not producing the kind of relationship with God that he desires with each of us. So Jesus came and he said, it's not about religion. It's not about what you can do to get to God. It's about what God has done in coming to earth, that Jesus was God in human flesh, and it was about what he would do on a cross and being crucified so that if after he was crucified and resurrected by grace through faith, we could all have a relationship with God. That's what we've been talking about. And religion has a tendency to produce this transformation in our lives that does not last. It's fake fruit. And today I want to talk to you about the difference between fake fruit and real transformation or real change and talk about how we can move in that direction with our lives. Listen to what Jesus says about this whole subject in Matthew chapter 7 of the Bible as he's speaking to a large group of people. He says, watch out. Jesus sometimes uses phrases like this just to help us know. He's, he means watch out. Get ready. Watch out for false prophets, prophets, that there are people and there were people in Jesus' day and age that were religious. On the outside, you would think that they would have it all together or they would act like they had it all together. 
But he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, and inwardly they are ferocious wolves. On the outside, they look all kind and sweet and nice and pretty, but on the inside, they are ferocious wolves. That's the problem with religion. Religion can change you externally without changing your heart. And then Jesus says this, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, if you don't know anything about gardening, the answer is what? No. A fruit tree that is made, an apple tree produces apples. We have a lemon tree, an orange tree, and a persimmon tree. Don't say that too fast so you mess it up. I'd never known about persimmon trees until a couple of weeks ago and they started coming. They're these pretty little orange fruit that all the South Americans rave about. And so we started eating persimmons. Now, if I wanted to go outside and get a persimmon, I wouldn't go to the orange tree and grab a piece of fruit because it's an orange tree. Jesus says, now watch out for these false prophets because you will know them by their fruit. And then he says this, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. Well, say it one more time. Can we say it together? Every good tree bears good fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. And then Jesus says, every bad tree bears bad fruit. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. Thanks, Jesus, for that one, Captain Obvious. I mean, we know that, Jesus. Good trees bear good fruit and bad trees bear bad fruit. But then he goes on. He says, a good tree. Let's get it a little bit more obvious. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear bad fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them, Jesus says, that ultimately every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So what in the world does this have to do with our growth and our transformation and our lives being different than it is today? The gap between who we are and we could be. See, when we notice as it pertains to the fruitfulness of our lives, that there's a gap between where we are and where God wants us to be and where we want to be, there are a lot of different approaches that we could take to become more fruitful. One approach would be a religious approach. And that would be much like this. I've got this tree over here. This is a lemon tree. And over the course of its life, it will become more fruitful. But let's just say I wanted to make it more fruitful now. I could go into my kid's room and I could pull out these toys, which here we have some apples, and I could take these apples and I could tie them to the branches. Whoop. And I probably should learn how to tie a knot first. I could tie them to the branches, and I could make this tree fruitful, right? I mean, you get the idea. If you want a piece of orange now, you can just come over to this tree and you could pull it off. I could even take some bananas and I could put these bananas on this fruit tree. Now we have a really, really fruitful tree, don't we? We have oranges, we have lemons, we have bananas, and I don't want these apples to get left out. So we'll tie these apples on here and we have a fruit tree that's producing good fruit, right? Obviously, I'm being facetious. If you didn't realize that, you probably need some help psychologically. We know a good counseling center called San Jose Christian Counseling Center. We can help you with that. But all right, so here you go. You got a fruitful tree. Well, the fruit is fake fruit. That's what religion does. It is fake fruit that we slap on 
for a season of time, but it does not produce lasting change in our life. And so this is such a very important subject for us because when we follow Jesus, he wants our lives to change. He desires that they would be different. And if fake fruit is not the solution, then what is the solution? It's that I would take this tree and I would plant it into the ground and I would water it and it would get sunshine and over the course of time, it would become fruitful. Now, that's very easy to understand when you're looking at a fruit tree, but what does it mean for our lives? How do we, over the course of time, produce lasting change or good fruit in our lives? That's why we're going to look at another passage of Scripture found in the book of Galatians of the Bible. And here's what we've been doing through this series. We've been looking at this book called Galatians. It was written to a group of people that had become steeped in religion. Now, their being steeped in religion was different than all of the people in the Old Testament who were steeped in religion. Because Jesus had come, and when he came, like we established earlier, he talked about the fact that he came to fulfill the law, that religion wasn't what was going to get us back to God, that it had to happen through his death, burial, and resurrection. And now this relationship with God was by grace, by the grace that comes when he died on a cross and resurrected through faith, that when I put my faith in him, relationship with God begins. But here was the problem for this church in a city called Galatia. They were reverting back to the law. They were saying things like this. I know it's really crazy for us in the 21st century, but in order for you to follow Jesus, you have to be circumcised. Now you imagine a 40-year-old guy, your pastor comes to you and it's like, hello, it's circumcision day today. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's what we're going to do. I think that would be a great way to shrink the numbers of your church very quickly, right? Any of those you, you who are not circumcised, you're nodding your heads. We know who you are. So anyways... Back to the subject, Paul writes the letter and he informs them about the importance of saying goodbye to religion for the sake of relationship. And in this particular passage, he actually describes how they experience fruitfulness in their lives. Listen to what he says. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit when he says the spirit he's talking about the spirit of god that there's a sinful nature that desires what is contrary to the spirit of god the spirit and the uh for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit they are in conflict with each other they're in war with each other they are in this constant turmoil good and evil from within the heart of men and women are constantly conflicting against one another so that you do not do what you want to do so that you don't end up doing the very thing that you wanted to do that's the struggle it's good versus evil inside of us anybody who tells you that they don't struggle with this is lying to you straight through their teeth. And you tell them that that's wrong. That's lying. That is not good right there. So every single human being is born into the world with this war inside of them. Jesus is the only one who completely conquered the war and never did anything wrong. So since we are here trying to follow him, how do we move into the kind of life he wants. And then he makes this last statement. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Look at this diagram here with me of the human heart. 
From within every human heart flows both good and evil. There are times that I want to do good. There are times that I want to do bad. There are times where I do good for a period and then I go back to what is bad. Everyone, if you do not believe me, have a child. And once you have a child and they're about two or three years old, you see the natural disposition of a human being is away from the ways of God. And I find it interesting, my two boys who are six and four years old, just about every day there's some toy that they're fighting over. This conflict becomes a big World War III shout-out match in my household. They don't have the capacity at this point to murder one another, but I think that if they did, they would. And most of the time, these fights end up with my younger son, Sammy, who's four, with his face in the mat, crying and screaming about something that his older brother, Cademan, has done to him. Evil from within the human heart. Well, this morning, so proud of my son, Cademan. I'm on my way to church, and we're going back and forth. Who's going to go to church with Dad today? Because every Sunday we rotate, and I haven't spoken the last couple of weeks, so we're trying to figure out whose week it was. And Cademan looks over at Sammy, and he's like, Sammy, you can go today. Why don't you go with Dad? I want to let you do it today. And I was like, oh, yes. But later today, they're going to be in some fight, and Sammy's, going to, Sammy's face is going to be in the rug and crying about something that has happened. See, it's the natural predisposition of humanity, good and evil. How do we overcome this struggle? How do we get out of it? All of us go through it. And then watch what he says as he describes it. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now, I want us to hear that word. He's about to tell us a few things that he's saying should be obvious to us, that this is the way of life that is against God's best for us. The things that we don't want to do. And then watch what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery or debauchery, however you say it, it's like giving into the sensual pleasures that we have internally. Then he continues on and he says this, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, witchcraft, you can't understand. I got that one, you know, calling down spirits and witches and stuff like that. That's probably not a good thing. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, I got that one, orgies, and the like. That one's really obvious, right? I mean, nobody ever got drunk, slept with 10 different people, and said, I'm so glad that I drank the whole keg, slept with 12 different people, walked away with STDs, and got three of them pregnant, right? Nobody ever, you're like, did he say that in church? Like, it's in the Bible, come on, gosh. All that stuff's in the Bible, circumcision, orgy, I mean, it's right there, And we got to be straight with it that this is the internal battle that he says is obvious for all of us. But do you notice that in the middle of all of it, he throws in stuff like drunkenness and orgies and group sex. And then he also says stuff like selfishness and envy. I mean, don't they seem like two radically different extremes? And here's the problem. See, religion can we can hide behind religion with a lot of these different heart conditions. I know drunkenness and orgy is a little bit hard to hide behind religion, but he says like envy, selfish ambition, discord, jealousy, all of these heart conditions that we can do religion in such a way that these men and women who were like wolves in sheep clothing, they were doing the right thing internally, but their heart was not in alignment with God. Now watch as he goes on to describe But what is the life that God desires? It's this. The fruit of the Spirit of God. 
the fruit of a life that follows Jesus. The fruit of a life that follows Jesus is this. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's go back through it and want you to think about your life one more time. Love, joy. Think about the last day. Peace. Go through the last week. Patience. Think about work. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit. It's the byproduct. It's the overflow of a life that is lived following Jesus. And then watch what he says. Against all of these things, there is no law. There is no place in all of the world that you could go that they're going to look at you, you land on the ground, you get off the airplane, and you start being kind to people. And they're like, give me your hands. Handcuffs into prison for five years for you, for being kind. Look at you. You got peace on your face. You're, you're, you're getting the electric chair for your peace. There's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. Not only is there no law in society, but there's no law in Scripture. There's no law in the Bible against this fruit. And for all of us, if we were honest, that's what we want. We want to be more loving towards the people in our life. We want to have joy when things don't go the way that we expected they would go. We want to experience peace in the midst of turmoil. We want to be kind to people who are in need and good and generous with our, with our possessions. But there is this battle inside of us. There's this me I want to be, but somehow I'm not getting there. I'm not producing that fruit that I hoped and desired that I would produce. So what is the solution? The question still looms for us. How do we move towards the life of fruitfulness that God wants each of us to have. Watch what he says as we, we conclude this passage, and then we'll unpack what it looks like for us. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. He's saying, ultimately, the goal is a relationship with God, keeping in step with God. Now, here's what I think happens for all of us. As we take these desires... And we have both good and bad, positive and negative desires. We feed our desires, and I got this from a mentor of mine about eight years ago, and it's very helpful for me. We feed all of our desires through a decision matrix. So you take your positive and your negative desires that come from within, that we've already established, all of us have, and we feed them through two primary lenses. The first lens would be our values, and the second lens would be our perspective. Our values would be the things that are most important to us now. Our perspective would be how we believe the world to operate. I heard this phrase, people do what makes sense to them. The guy that rolled into the bank and blew up a bunch of people to get some money, it made sense to him. The guy in the movie theater this last summer who took a machete or machine gun, excuse me, a machine gun and just start shooting people, it made sense to him. The, the man who pursues his career over his family, it makes sense to him. The girl who stays jealous and bitter towards her roommate, it makes sense to her to live this way. People do what makes sense to them, and we feed our decisions through our values, which is most, what is most important to me, and through our perspective, which is how do I see the world? And I do it in such a way that it's like, ah, it makes sense 
to live this way. That's why when you look at sociology or psychology, that just about every society and culture, people have a tendency to live the same way that their parents live. That like some people break out of the norm, but most people were influenced at a values level with our heart and a cognitive level at, a, at the perspective. And we see life and we believe life to work a certain way. So we follow in that direction. And then finally, that leads to our behavior and our actions that we send our heart condition through values and perspective, and it leads to behavior and action. Now, here's where this becomes important. Think about a guy that's away on a business trip. He goes away. He's not there with anybody else he knows. His wife's back home, and he's hanging out at the bar. And that night, up walks a gal that's really beautiful. She's like the most beautiful thing. She looks like she is just fallen out of a fashion magazine. She's beautiful. Her eyes are perfect. I mean, she like gives him that look and he's like, oh, I could go to bed with this girl. I could, I could, you know, she could be my girl for the night. And he then makes a decision what he's going to do. And he runs that decision through a grid of values. Am I going to go to bed with this girl and sleep with her tonight and, and, and enjoy myself and have a really good time? Or am I going to value my relationship with my spouse and with my kids and the consequence of what might happen? His decision goes through the grid of what is most important to him and he's going to make it based upon that value. And then he's going to make it based upon his perspective. If he believes that he can do this and he can get away with it and he'd rather have sensual pleasure in that moment and he's going to be able to just walk back home to his wife and act like nothing ever happened, he's going to move in the direction of his values and his perspective instead of doing the thing that maybe some of us would do, hopefully all of us would do, to say, I'm going to reserve myself in this moment and I'm going to wait back home, wait till I get back home and I'm going to protect my relationship with my spouse. Think about a single gal. She gets in a fight with her roommate and her roommate does something to hurt her and she's so torn up on the inside. Maybe that roommate steals the boyfriend that she's been trying to go after. And on the inside, she's so bitter. She's so frustrated. She's so hurt. She's going to decide what to do about that situation or circumstance based upon her values and her perspective. If it's more important to her than to hold on to revenge, than to extend forgiveness, she's going to hold on to revenge. If she believes that by holding on to revenge, she's harming her roommate, she's going to hold on to that situation and circumstance and believe that she's hurting that person rather than having the proper perspective, which would say, if you hold revenge in your heart, the only person you're really hurting is yourself. You're putting yourself in a prison. She takes her decision and she filters it through her values and her perspective. I want you to think back over the course of your life this last week and some of the decisions that you made and to realize that you ran those decisions, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, through a series of values. And we rank values in our lives. We say certain things are more important than others. Maybe my career is more important than my family or my family is more important than my career. And I will make my decision in light of that value and in light of the perspective of how I believe the world to operate. You guys got it. Is it clear? Hopefully clear as mud. Just kidding. 
Um, if it's not clear, I'm sorry, I'm not going to keep going on and on about it, but I could go on and on and on. I could give you 30 more situations and circumstances in our lives, in my life, from all of us that we feed our decisions through a series of values. Now, here's the two, here are the two points I want to make. A change of behavior does not guarantee a change of heart. A change of behavior does not guarantee a change of heart. And so what religion does is it isolates and focuses on behavior, hoping that behavior would then in turn change the heart. I have conversations that go something like this. You get people that come to South Bay, they've had previous religious experiences or gone to churches, and they say stuff like, what's your plan for intensive discipleship at South Bay Church? You got all these people who are at all different places. What's your plan for intensive discipleship? To which I say, well, tell me more what you mean. And they might say something like, well, you know, at my previous church, I had this intensive discipleship group, and we met at like 4.30 in the morning, and we prayed for like two hours, and we memorized like half of the Bible, and we called each other six times a day to make sure that we weren't looking at pornography online at work, and we did all these things together. And not that that's bad, okay? Don't hear me bashing intensive discipleship groups because we have a bunch of them here at South Bay Church. But in this guy's mind, that intensive discipleship group was ultimately the measure of maturity for somebody who follows Jesus. Yet for all of us who are at all different walks of life, what is obedience and what is responsive to God will look different for every single one of us. You might get one guy that can't stop looking at pornography and what he needs is somebody to walk him through that struggle. You might get one gal who is so overwhelmed with jealousy and bitterness that she can't she can't overcome it, and she needs somebody to encourage her in that area of our, her life. You might have one person that is selfish and greedy, and what they need is to take a step to begin to be generous with, with their resources. So all of us are at different places in the journey, and religion tries to systematize everybody's spiritual growth and to say everybody needs to go down this path. That we all need to look alike. We all need to wear these clothes. You've ever even seen it before. I lived in the Southeast for a few years, and it used to be that, like, if you were religious, you wore, like, really nice slacks, and you had a shirt on, and you had a tie on, and you knew, like, if your hair was long, you were not religious, right? And then it evolved, and it became a little bit different. Like, you know, you have, if you have pleated khakis and you tucked your shirt in, then you were good. Now, all of a sudden, there are all these new churches where the pastors have goatees, and this little spike on their hair, and that's how you know, really, if you got it together, right? But we create this image of maturity that doesn't deal with the human heart. And Jesus would say over and over and over and over and over again, life flows from the heart. Above everything, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of your life. That when your heart changes, it will change your behavior. It will change your actions. Religion isolates behavior without focusing on the heart. Not that obedience doesn't matter. Not that God wants you to stay the way that you are. He wants you to change. He wants you to grow, but not from isolating and focusing on some set of protocol that does not deal with the heart. And the second point is this, that real change comes from a change in values and perspective. Real change comes 
from a change of values and perspective. Let me give you this example here, which I know is kind of a bad example, but um, it really, really does make the point. It's not spiritual, but it is an illustration about Diet Coke. You see, I used to drink loads and loads and loads of Diet Coke. I would sometimes drink four, five, six Diet Cokes a day. And I would have people come to me and they'd say things like, Andy, do you realize what you're doing to your body? You're like basically taking chemicals and dumping them in your body. You're going to have cancer in a few years. You're drinking diet cancer, not diet Coke. And have you seen all the research about what happens to those rats and how they're destroyed? And I'm like, but I really, really like Diet Coke. And all I care about around 2.30 in the afternoon is getting enough caffeine to get me through the end of the day so that I can be productive. I don't really care about this. Then my wife, Stacy, started doing research, which, you know, when your wife get involved, gets involved, it's like, golly, okay, fine. So she starts doing all this research on natural food and processed foods and chemicals in foods and on and on and on and on and on. And I'm like, okay, finally, she's like, yeah, basically that Diet Coke can is just like one big old can of chemicals. So you can keep drinking it if you want to. Now, this is not to say that drinking Diet Coke is a sin, okay, or that you're going to hell if you drink Diet Coke, okay? You just might get there a little bit faster. (laughs) So anyways, not a spiritual example, but what happened is I started thinking about all this stuff. And then the water and the Diet Coke would come together, and I'm like, hmm, Water, Diet Coke, water, Diet Coke. I'm like, mm, Diet Coke, I want that. But then I knew, right? At that point, I'm like, I'm killing myself. I'm eating myself alive on the inside. I'm going to foam at the mouth and die pretty soon from all this Diet Coke. And the more and more I started thinking about it, I'm like, I should probably start to choose the water. Now, when I first chose the water, it was like, oh, water versus Diet Coke? And then I was like, okay, I'll drink coffee, which now I drink like 10 times as much coffee as I used to, so I don't really know if it matters anyways, but it's a great illustration. And then what happened, though, over the course of time is I chose something different I stopped preferring Diet Coke to the point where a few weeks ago, somebody gave me a Diet Coke when we were at a restaurant, and it tastes gross to me. I'm like, what is that? It's the worst thing I've put in my mouth in ages. Oh, that's Diet Coke. See, the way that we change is that in our lives, we're presented. Perspective changes, and then we're presented with an option. And if you follow Jesus over the course of time, the goal is that you would understand what Jesus values more and more and more. And then presented with that value, then I make a choice. Will I adapt and adopt, adapt and adopt to the values that God has, or will I continue to live my own life the way that I want to live my life? And there are two key phrases in this passage of Scripture that I want to pull out right on the front end that the Apostle Paul, who writes, says, do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Do not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The human nature is like this great big old appetite that the more you feed it, the more that appetite grows. You ever notice like on the holidays where at least this happens for me, maybe it doesn't for you because you're more self-controlled than I am, but during the holidays you start to eat like 
cookies and sweets. And my wife makes these little peanut butter balls that have chocolate on the outside of them. And she, she makes like three plates of them. And I'm, I go over and I'm like, I'm just going to have one of these. And then I go sit on the couch and I'm like, I'm going to have another one. And I'm like doing this back and forth dance. Anybody else know what I'm talking about during the holiday season? And then what happens to you? You're like January 1st, come January 1st, I am done with the peanut butter balls, right? No more cookies for me. And then what happens on January 1st? You're like, oh, one cookie, that's all I need. Just one, just one. Because there is an appetite that has grown within you. You fed that appetite, that appetite got bigger. And the sinful nature, any desire that is out of alignment with God, when you feed it, that appetite grows. Like if you struggle with pornography, and you think to yourself, oh, if I just like, if I just watch one more movie, then, then that desire is going to go away. No, you fed that desire, and now that desire is going to grow. Greed is the same way. Jealousy is the same way. Dissension, discord, drunkenness, all of those desires, you feed them, they grow. The scripture says, don't gratify. When you get a value that comes into conflict, just like a Diet Coke and a water come into conflict with one another, you choose what God values. You choose what is important to God, and then over the course of your life, you start to value. Your heart starts to change, and then you begin to realize that this way of life is actually better, that if I would treat others with kindness, if I would be generous to those in need, if I would pursue the things of God, then life actually leads to more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that as I move in that direction, life is better. And then he makes this last statement. Listen to what he says at the end of the passage. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What is the goal? The end goal of this whole transformation process is a living breathing relationship with the God who created you and knows every head on your hair and knows your DNA and loves you more than you could ever possibly fathom being loved. And what he wants from you and what he wants for you is a relationship. It's not religion. So my journey over the course of my life as I choose to follow Jesus is now me being presented with what he values and allowing through relationship my perspective to be changed. That as I read the Bible, which I believe to be the word of God, and as I pray and I spend time around other people that are trying to follow Jesus, then I begin to see the world the way that God sees the world. And then over the course of time, life changes, more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more gentleness, and more self-control become the fruitfulness of your life and my life if we will step back and we will begin to present our lives. These are my values now. This is my perspective of how I see the world. But God, I believe that over the course of time, you can change my values and I believe over the course of time, you can help me. I want to see this situation, this relationship, this struggle, the way, God, that you see it so that you can change me. Here's my challenge for you. I want you to pick that one area in your life that you keep going back to, that you keep struggling with. Whatever it is, whether it's an emotion, an addiction, whether it's a relationship that you keep falling back into. And I want you this week 
to go on a pursuit of the values and perspective of God into that situation. Maybe you would even have a conversation with somebody in your life group. Maybe you would even swing by the Connection Center today so that we can talk and pray over you and help you in this journey. But to take that one area of your life and to present it before God to say, God, I want my values to change and my perspective to change and to pursue, to read the Bible, to pray, to talk, to converse, to let your mind be shaped and your heart be, ch- be changed and watch what God does in your life. Now, I know that some of you, you've got the question and you say, I've already done this. I've already tried to change and it's not working. I've already tried to shift my values and perspective. That's why this week and next week go hand in hand together and you need to be back for the message next week as we talk about dealing with discouragement because sometimes we look at life from such a short view and God sees life from a long view. And it's not just this week. I've done this before where I'm like, I'm not gonna be angry with my kids. I know God loves kids. Jesus said, let the little children come. I wanna love kids. And the next day, bedtime, I'm like, ah, same thing. But the kind of fruitfulness that Jesus brings into our lives as we follow him is maybe not this week, maybe not even this month, but maybe later this year or two years from now, as you look at the slice of our life over the long haul, there will be an increased level of fruitfulness. And could you imagine if we were to put religion down for a little while no matter what your religious belief is, even if you're Buddhist or agnostic or atheist, just put down and cease to try to change out of your own strength and some set of rules or protocol that you might have made up or somebody else made for, up for you and just let God work on your heart and your values and your perspective, not ignoring behavior, not ignoring obedience, but letting it flow from the inside. Could you imagine over the long haul the difference that this would make? The, the amount of joy you would have and peace and hope and love as you stop trying on your own but begin to work in step with the God who created you and loves you and can give you the power to become the person that he has created you to be. Let's pray. God, today we are so grateful um, that you change us and that you grow us and that you mature us. There's such hope in that because I think all of us, I mean, even as I think about my life, there's so many things I want to be different. And I, I don't want to stand up here and presume that I have this whole thing figured out. This is a journey. I'm in process and we're in process and we want to love you more. We want you to look at our lives and we want your heart to be filled with joy because of us. We want the world and our community to look at us and say, man, the the way that they love each other, the way that they have joy and the peace in their lives, man, there's something different about them. We don't want people to look at our lives and say, oh, they're so religious, they got it all together. We want people to see you, Jesus. We want to be your hands and your feet to our families, your hands and your feet and your love to our community and to our places of work. And so I just pray from the bottom of my heart that we would be able to put down religion long enough to let you work on our inside and let life flow from the place that you intended it to flow and experience freedom and joy and peace as a result. God, I know that so many of us carry so many burdens into this place that weigh us down. And your word says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. Some of you today Maybe there's something that you're carrying today and you just need this to be your moment between you and God just to say, God, I'm, 
I'm done carrying this burden on my own, whether it's a burden of religion, it's a burden of a relationship gone bad, it's a burden of your finances, to come to him in this moment and just between you and God and to say honestly before him, God, I need your help with this and let him just restore you. Let him speak love into your heart, maybe even for the first time today. He will do it. He's a good God. He's a God full of love. All across the room, maybe today, some of you, this is your day to choose to follow Jesus, to put your faith and your hope in him for the first time. You can do that by believing by grace through faith. And what Jesus did on a cross is he was crucified and resurrected. As you've placed your faith in him, in Jesus, the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we shall be saved and relationship with God shall begin. Just tell him from the bottom of your heart is today he's knocking on the door of your heart and he wants relationship with you. He's drawing you to himself. Just tell him from the bottom of your heart, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't manage the evil or the bad that comes from within me, but I know that you can change me. I surrender my heart to you. Forgive me from my past. And today, He'll step into your heart and give you a new life and change you from the inside out. God, we thank you today for your love. Thank you for the truth that we've unpacked today. Let it change our lives more than just in this moment. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.